I have never met with or had any conversation with any Russians. Attorney General Sessions cannot possibly lead an investigation into Russian interference. How many times did Jeff Sessions meet with the Russian ambassador and why did they meet? I'm not able to discuss with you or confirm or deny uh, the nature of uh, private conversations that I may have had with the president. Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Welcome to the White House. This is Freak Out and Carry On. I'm Ron Suskind. And I'm Heather Cox Richardson. She's a noted historian with a unique view of the Trump administration. And he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist with decades of experience reporting in Washington. And this is the Politics and History podcast that asks, what is happening? And has it happened before? Hi, Heather. Hey, Ron. Well, well, it's been another busy time for us. With the much-anticipated Jeff Sessions testimony. I mean, this was certainly teed up by the tall man Jim Comey. I just, I see them together. They're fitted together, hand in glove. Here Comey describes an extraordinary moment where the president demands a blood oath, an oath of loyalty. From Comey. Comey squirms. I'm not sure what to say. Just an extraordinary thing to watch. And I thought back, what would Comey have has any sort of antecedent to help him understand this extraordinary moment? And it is simply that in 1991, he prosecuted the Gambinos as a prosecutor in the Southern District of Manhattan. And, and this week, what you saw with Sessions was classic mob lawyer practice. I don't remember anything. I don't even know where I was that day. I don't know who Donald Trump is. I don't know who the Russians are. I don't know who I am. I'm not even sure my name. I I think I forgot that. What state am I from? You know, all of that is a kind of method that we're used to seeing in organized crime. Well, my impression was fairly similar, although not perhaps with the idea that it was a mafia kind of thing. What it seemed to me that Sessions was up to was he was performing for an audience of one, and that was President Trump. And that itself says something really interesting about this government and about what it might be trying to do and what the attorney general in this administration, what role that person is going to take on and how that may or may not serve America terribly well. Well, you know, we're going to talk about that later, these dual allegiances of attorney generals. Are they the chief law enforcement agent of the country as attorney general or are they serving the president? Let us bring in our... Chum, this week, our guest is Dana Milbank, columnist for The Washington Post, author of three books about politics, media, and Washington. Welcome, Dana. Good to be with you. Okay, so Dana, sitting in your chair, what did it feel like this week watching Jeff Sessions? What I felt this week, not unlike what you were describing, was that I was watching a a person who was having some memory trouble. I do not have any recollection of meeting or talking to the Russian ambassador. You don't remember whether Ambassador Kislyak was there, the Russian ambassador, is that correct? Um, I did not remember that. I do not remember it. And now you're not answering questions. You're impeding this investigation. If I had remembered it, or or if it actually occurred, which I don't remember that it did. 
just on the first page of your three pages of written testimony, you wrote, nor do I recall, do not have recollection, do not remember it. Well, I, I don't know that how I would characterize that. I suspect from here on out, it's going to continue in more of that anticlimactic vein. I think the action is largely moving behind closed doors to the Mueller investigation, and uh, we're going to see a lot of this kind of stonewalling in public. So you may see Comey as a kind of high watermark of to and fro, and and now we're we're into the Stonewall period and the use of executive privilege. Let's listen to Mark Warner from Virginia and Sessions go at it. Mr. Chairman, I'm not able to comment on conversations with uh, uh, high officials within the White House. That would be a violation of the communications uh, rule that I I have to. Admit. Is that uh, just so I can understand? Is the basis of that? Unwillingness to answer based on executive privilege or what? My, it's a longstanding policy of the Department of Justice not to uh, comment on conversations that the Attorney General has had with the President of the United States uh, for uh, confidential reasons that really are founded in the co equal branch powers in the Constitution of the United States. But that, so. But just so I'm understanding, does that mean, are you claiming executive privilege here today, sir? I'm not claiming executive privilege because that's the president's power. Because here you've got Sessions sort of claiming it and sort of not, saying Trump hasn't claimed it, but I kind of am for myself, or I'm not. The to and fro there was... He can't remember. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I don't remember who claimed it. What ground does Sessions stand on using that loaded term? Well, this whole way they discussed executive privilege was really novel, the idea that you might invoke it in the future, even though you weren't invoking it right now, because executive privilege is actually quite important for a president. It evolved because a president needs to be able to get advice from advisors without worrying that it's going to come out later, because you want your advisors to be able to speak freely and you need to be able to speak freely to them in return. You also can invoke executive privilege if there is classified information that should not be made public. But to say, like they did here, that they can't say things because they have to check it with the president first, even though he has not invoked executive privilege, I thought was a real a new moment. You know, here's a question, Heather. This man is sitting there. Who is he representing? Is he representing some larger charge of the United States? Or is he there simply as the president's lawyer? There's a lot of back and forth across history. People make choices on that axis. Well, but there's no real question about it. The attorney general is supposed to represent not the president but the U.S. government. But the confusion that people are having right now is the idea that somehow the attorney general is supposed to be the president's lawyer. He is not the president's lawyer. He is the lawyer for the U.S. government. And the problems that attorney generals get into is when they make the mistake of thinking that serving the president alone means serving the United States people. And I think that that's a problem that, that uh, Sessions might be getting into. What's the history on that? This attorney general is is like a pointed spear for presidents. Well, you know, it's so funny. The, the, we're talking about the attorney general. And most people go through their lives without thinking much about the attorney general. And the attorney generals that we remember, there have been some 80 of them now, are the ones who make the mistake of thinking that they are serving the president and that their role in the government is to find some legal justification for doing something that probably isn't legal. There was a moment in the past that looks much like the present that most people have forgotten and that is crucially important. And that is 
under Woodrow Wilson right after World War I in 1919 to 1920 when the attorney general actually sponsored a number of raids against the American people that really have gone down in history as some of our most dangerous domestic events. What were they? Well, so what happens is during World War One, in order to whip up support for the war, Woodrow Wilson encourages really uh, fears of foreigners. When, like which groups were the well, hot it was, ones? It was these? primarily at first Germans, uh-huh. but after the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, the real American fear turns to communism in Russia. Ah, uh, yeah. So after the revolution, this is my great grandfather, by the way, oh, a man with a little hat who comes over from Minsk or Pinsk. Yeah. Well, the fear was that these people would bring with them communism to America, and so what happens is that people become more and more hysterical about foreigners coming into America, and by 1919, there are a number of of communist organizations from other countries who start to set bombs in America. And they go off in a number of fairly dramatic places. And one of them is the home of the attorney general, a guy named Mitchell Palmer. And he vows he's going to wipe radicalism out of America. And he launches what are called the Palmer Raids. Oh, right, right, right. Palmer Raids. These are like I've seen this in movies. But they start rounding up Russians. And then by 1920, they start to round up anybody who appears to be a communist or a labor activist. So by the end of the Palmer Raids, they have officially rounded up, arrested without charges, more than 6,000 Americans and created a situation in America where it seems to be sort of open season on people who are organizing to promote the interests of labor or that might be somehow politically against the Wilson administration. I think the link between Palmer, the attorney general under Woodrow Wilson, John Mitchell, the attorney general under Richard Nixon, Alberto Gonzalez, the attorney general under George W. Bush, what they all have in common is the idea that by protecting their president, they are protecting the American system because they feel that political opponents of those presidents are somehow endangering America. And when you have attorneys general who decide that their loyalty should be to one man, to the presidency, to work against political opponents rather than trying to protect the American system as a whole, they always get themselves into trouble. You don't want your attorney general to be loyal to the president and turn against political opponents with the idea that that's what's going to protect the government because they should be protecting the government, not a man. Dana, when you hear this, fear of immigrants, fear that leads to terrible outcomes, an attorney general acting like a man on a flaming chariot. Uh, Does it give you a sense of we may have been here before and we survived it? Um, Does it give you a sense of, my goodness, uh, this is even worse than I thought? Well, certainly we've survived worse than this. The real question I have, the concern that I have is what happens if and when, God forbid, there's a major attack, a major international conflict, what happens with these sort of authoritarian, anti-democratic instincts? Is that the time when we start uh, repeating uh, internment camps? Is that when there's a Muslim ban in earnest and registration of Muslims? Uh, Is that when the president makes good on his pledge to uh, crack down on press freedoms and and on publishers and, and broadcasters? Jeff Sessions has 
not indicated uh, any desire to have any distance between uh, himself and this president. Certainly, we've had that before. Obviously, the you know, President Kennedy had his his own brother in this uh, position. And, uh, I remember uh, President Bush, George W. Bush, you know, referring to his attorney general as mi abogado. So he was literally saying he's my lawyer. So the, the, the notion that the attorney general is sort of shielding the president isn't surprising or new or by itself worrying. It's that if this president is moved to do something truly outside of our democratic system, does Jeff Sessions loyally follow him? Well, look, I think you're right. That's the fear. An apparatus is being set up, not necessarily activated in all of these very dark ways, but truly having reported on terrorism for 15 years, that is the real fear. That it's a question, I think, lots of terrorism experts say this, of not if but when something happens on U.S. soil. And that is the great fear. Uh, what happens when a crisis does arrive? But I have a question for you on that, Dana. You know, you've seen an awful lot of people in Washington come and go. Does this moment with Sessions this week, does it feel different to you? I don't think the Sessions moment was different per se. I mean, there's an endless parade of government officials of all administrations coming before Congress who are suddenly and conveniently unable to recall any, anything uh, whatsoever. So, it's really bad for the memory to work in Washington, isn't no, it? No, it's terrible, terrible. So there's nothing new or uh, surprising about that. You know, I expect that will continue. What I've never seen before, and I don't believe any of us has ever seen anything like it, was the FBI director fired by the president basically getting up there before the nation and saying this president is a liar. That's something that's extraordinary. And not any of the Republican senators really challenging him. I thought that was quite something. Right. They're trying to defend the president on a point here or there saying, well, it does not amount to obstruction of justice. And that's fine. That's a, you know, legal people can have that argument. But nobody was answering Comey's character argument argument and that saying is this man, the president of the United States, uh, is not trustworthy. Good point. It's this question that we have of are these times so very different? Have we gone off the grid into uncharted territory? Dana Milbank, great to have you here. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Nice to have you. Thank you. And we'll be right back. So, Ron, you know, one of the things that really interests me is when we were talking with Dana and what you said as well, you talked about the Stonewall period, that we have entered the Stonewall period with Attorney General Sessions. What does that mean in terms of this kind of an investigation? Like, what is he hoping to accomplish with that? Because it sure does not play well when you look at it on TV. And it does buy him time. But if you look at the political theater, if you will, of this kind of an investigation at this point in an administration... Why are they doing this? You know, stonewalling is a short-term game, narratively speaking. You know, you stonewall as long as you can. The long game, of course, is the opposite one. I am the attorney general. I'm going to sit before you as a representative of the United States who happens to serve this man. That's a different kind of offering, a different narrative, and certainly not the stonewall narrative. So in some ways, I think Sessions is playing really the short game here, protecting himself, not sure how it's going to turn out, saying, I've just got to live another day uh, because, you know, he's in the crosshairs. Make no mistake. Comey said something confidentially to that Senate committee about something Sessions did not disclose ostensibly another meeting that was consequential. I think it also plays well to the base. 
you know, he, he's demeaning these folks uh, on the Senate panel. You know, he's saying, you know, I, I, uh, I will not abide by the things that you're throwing at me. Be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm not, I'm not convinced it played terribly well because if you could have danced it a little more, sort of pretended you were giving some information, right? Then he just looked kind of like a petulant child. It clearly wasn't a nuanced performance in which it seemed like he had thought through many of the things he would have to certainly say. He knows what questions are going to be posed. Maybe he was just nervous. Well, I'm Ron Suskind with my friend Heather Cox Richardson. Thank you. Thanks, Ron. Until next time, this is Freak Out and Carry On. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. It helps others find the show. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Freak Out Carry On. Visit our website at wbur.org slash freakout. Our email address is freakoutandcarryon at wbur.org. Our show is produced by WBUR in Boston. We're produced and edited by Catherine Brewer. Our engineer is John Parati. Our executive producer is Iris Adler. Music for the podcast, courtesy of APM. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the participants and do not in any way reflect the views of WBUR management or its employees.